With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. Good morning, and welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. I am Marilyn Houghton Marriott, your host. My particular show is called The Bridge, where I interview Christian writers um, of different genres. This morning, um, I'm going to interview Pat Nichols. She writes a little bit of a mystery series. Um, I am a fan of Pat Nichols. I have read her first book, and I absolutely love it, and I'm waiting for the release of her next book. Let me tell you a little bit about Pat. She started out in a corporate career. Matter of fact, she's retired from a 27-year corporate career. Pat Nichols draws on her experience in seven different management positions working with hundreds of amazing women from all walks of life to create stories about women facing challenges in pursuit of their dreams. In her novel, The Secret of Willow Inn, Willow Falls series book one, was released 2019. Book two in the series is scheduled for release in 2020. Pat received the 2018 North Georgia Christian Writers Conference Georgia Peach Award for her story, The Vet and Valentine's Day. It was the Women of the Year Award. She is a member of the American Christian Fiction Writers and Word Weavers International. Pat makes her home in Georgia. Good morning, Pat. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And um, everything okay in Georgia this morning? Everything's great. It's sunny and not as hot as it has been. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a relief. You know, even here in Texas, it's not as hot as it has been. We've been running in the triple digits, and we had a, a lovely 89 degrees this morning. So. Um, that's quite a change. I don't see a smoking gun. I don't see anything that... Okay, come on in. We'll go through that. Pat, is that noise on your end, sweetheart? Yeah. No? Oh, yeah, I hear a noise. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. We have another caller listening in, so I wasn't sure if the noise was coming from you or, um, or a listener. Um, if the listener oh, it has must be the listener. Okay, if the listener, the, listener. Has called, if the listener has called in with a question, just let me know when you would like to ask a question. Otherwise, I just turned your microphone on. Okay, I know you want to cover some things with us today. 
And I know you want to start with your journey from corporate world to uh, author career. So I would like to know more about that myself. Well, after we retired back in 2005, my husband and I decided we just sort of wanted to relax. And we spent the next few years ticking off every destination on our travel bucket list. And okay. uh, that, that was a lot of fun. Uh-huh. It was. And then I sort of fell into doing some volunteer work. I held offices on several boards. We became actively involved in several ministries in our church. Um, and life was going along just fine until in 2014, a young woman who had been in and out of our lives for about uh, 30 years tragically passed away. And cool. I... I felt the need to write a story sort of loosely based on her life, but with a happy ending. And so I, I met with my family. We were all sitting around the table for dinner, and I said, I want to write a, a story. And they sort of looked at me and said, oh, okay, <laughs> go ahead. And that's exactly <laughs> what I did. <laughs> now, when I that's a good husband, just story, to say, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. He said, okay, whatever. <laughs> and my kids were there, too. So, you know, they all said, they're fine. When I finished it, um, I, I discovered that I loved the process. And I was convinced that I had a novel that was ready for publication, and I was going to become a famous writer. <clears throat> Until a very, very close friend of mine uh, edited the book for me and told me that, um, well, it's a nice story, but you just happen to have made every single mistake every new writer makes. I about 100. So I had to make a decision. That's hard to hear, but uh, having been there myself, it can be also very informative and helpful. Oh, it was. And and it guided me because I had to decide, okay, do I just forget about writing? All right, this was a fun experience. Do I write as a hobby or do I pay attention to what I believe was God's nudge to do something different in retirement? Put on my Mm -hmm. big girl pants. And actually study the craft. Well, obviously, that's what I decided to do. So I started attending conferences. I asked for a lot of critiques on my work. I took some courses. And I rewrote that book. um, And then wrote a second book based on a vision our daughter had. And that sort of launched this this whole new career, um, a second career as I call it. Sure. And, uh, I've loved every moment of it. Well, good. Um, and, of course, you kind of covered uh, what inspired you to write Love Ball. Um, why did you write a story? Um, and, and it's a great story. Why did you write a story about a big city and a small town? Usually authors decide, well, I'm going to write a story about a big city. Or they decide, I am going to write a a book about small town life. What caused you to combine the two? Well, a couple of things. First, I I wanted two characters who were, two women, who were the main characters, who were only children. Uh And that sort of was born out of my mom was an only child. And I remember growing up and how she talked about always wanting a sister. and, And she was determined to have two children so that neither... My, me or my sister would grow up without a sibling. So that right. spurred the story. But then I thought, okay, if these, I wanted both of these women to be strangers. Well, what could be 
greater strangers than a woman who lived in a big city and one who lived in a small town and grew up very differently. That was mm-hmm. one reason. Another was I wanted to write about a, one of the cities to be a, a town that I could write about real places. So I chose Atlanta. Right. And I used Google Earth all the time because I actually had <laughs> Rachel, who was one of the characters, works in a downtown office, a real office, even though she's fictional. Right. And I use Google Earth all the time to determine, can she see the Ferris wheel from this window? Can she see Centennial Park and yeah. so forth? But the, others, the other town, the small town, I wanted to write about a town that I could conform to the story as opposed to the story conforming to the town. Now, I couldn't Google Earth, well, or false, it doesn't right, exist in my mind. But being visual, I had to know which, you know, what, what location, what, where was the inn, where was Patsy's, where was Pepper's Cafe. So I actually drew an aerial view of the town and had all the key locations in there. Because if I, in my story, had somebody turning right, I wanted to make sure they were turning right. <laughs> Yeah, those are all tricky things that, yeah, those are things you think about if you're not an author, you know, because I'm writing a a book about a small town right now. It's funny that you drew a little town because I just drew mine on on paper. It's so funny listening to you say that. I uh, I didn't know if I was striking out and doing something new on my own or, you know, if other authors did that, but I just draw, I just drew, um, you know, a little town myself. So anyway, keep mm-hmm. going. This is really interesting. So, that, so that's drew, kind of where it, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, you drew it out so that you would make sure uh-huh. if you said in the book, she turned right, that she really turned right. Correct. Correct. And it did, it helped when you described something to be able to look at that map and, and know what somebody could actually see from right. their perspective, from where they were standing. And then I kept that map, and as I worked on book two, I added different places in the story. So it's kind of a two-focus two map from book one to book two, and then there's some additional things in book three. So, yeah, that map still exists. It's kind of tattered, but I still use it. Well, hey, you know, we have our little tools of what we do for the trade. I know uh, my book is about children, and when uh, my first book and my second one is about children, and every time I would have the child do something, of course, in, in my particular book, the stress, uh, because the book, is, I'm, I'm a psychotherapist, and the book is set in the clinic, so every time I would have a distressed child do something like pull his shirt up over his head from the back, I would pull my shirt over my head from the back to make sure that 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 was a move that, that could be done and felt even as I did it that a child of 11 or so could do that. So it, it's important to stay authentic in your story. But if we vary off, um, the majority of, of the people won't know it or won't notice it, but the at least 20% of readers are very discriminating and would pick up on that and then you've just lost credibility. And as exactly. writers, that's the last thing we want to do. And so that's, that's very and it, smart. Yeah. And it takes a lot of research. I mean, I, I write contemporary, so I don't have to research into history, but little things um, that you have to get, you have to have accuracy 
and you have to stop and think about those things. And, and you also have to get inside the skin of those characters and kind of figure out, you know, what are they thinking? And, yeah, oftentimes I have to stop and think, what would Emily actually think in this situation? Which is why it takes a long time to write. It's not just putting words on paper. It's, it's like you said, it, it's figuring out, does this action make sense? Would this actually work? Right. And, and how would this character respond in this situation given her background, given her personality, given, given where she is in her life? Right. Uh, Pat, when did you get your big, your big break with this first novel? I know it's so hard. Um, you know, even Stephen King uh, sold his 14th book. He sold Carrie. Uh, he had submitted 13 books along the way and was rejected over and over. Of course, once he sold Carrie, then they wanted all 13 of his other books, which worked out for him. But I'm, I'm just giving an example of a big name that it took a very long time. I, I wonder sometimes if I would have um, a hook spot uh, to write 13 books that, you know, or manuscripts that just lay there waiting. I guess he just knew in his heart how good he was. But um, it is very hard to break into the in- industry. And mine, your industry is a Christian industry. And when did you mm-hmm. get your big break? And by big break, I, I'm a meaning um, connecting with an editor or an agent uh, or a publisher. I'm not sure who you connected with first. It was in 2014. Now, mind you, before then, I had been to conference uh, conferences and I had pitched the first two books I wrote and was uh, handily rejected and by eight different editors and agents, which I, I knew, I expected that because I felt that those books weren't fully polished. So although it was disappointing, it was very good because it stretched me. It, it forced me to continue to learn and to continue to perfect the craft, which you never really perfect. You're always learning. But in 2014, a close friend of mine who's a published author, um, Sherry Stewart, told me that Jennifer Slattery, who was at the time an acquisition editor for Guiding Light, which was an imprint of Lighthouse Publishing in the Carolinas, was actually mm-hmm. accepting proposals. Now, I had met and been critiqued by uh, Eva Marie Everson for my first book, and she was also an acquisition editor for Lighthouse. So right. I, 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 I had an in, so to speak. So I submitted my second book, which was um, actually written, it, it was a story that was sort of grew out of a uh, vision our daughter had. And it was rejected. Jennifer said it just wasn't what they were looking for. Well, fortunately, I had finished the third book I had written, which was the Willow Falls book, and I asked if I could submit that, and she said yes, and so I put together a proposal, submitted the first three chapters, and emailed it to her, and then I waited, and a couple days later, I got an email, she said, there you go, the waiting game, the waiting, and she said, we need to talk, and I thought, okay, well, this is either really good news, or this is really not good news, and um, she said, can we talk? So a couple of days later, we connected by phone, and she offered me a contract, and I was just over the moon. And I'll tell you, uh, I've heard a lot about, and I did, I pursued, I, I wanted to go the route of traditional publishing. And I had heard it takes an average of 10 years to land a contract with a, with a um, traditional publisher. Well, at my age, God knew I, God knew I didn't have that long to wait. <laughs> 
So right. I opened that door just four years after I really started writing. And I just, uh, I just feel so blessed that all that has happened. And uh, it's really changed my life. Well, I am um, very happy for you. Um, that's great. And I, I know that feeling of when that phone call comes of, can we talk? And, you know, that, it, it's one of those mm-hmm. things you look at your husband and say, well, there's either really good news or really bad news when you get one of those calls. And when it's good news, I mean, it, it, it's the kind of news that nobody would understand unless they've worked and polished and polished and rewritten and rewritten a book. You know, it's, um, it, it's just a, an amazing feeling. Um, are you an avid reader? Have you been an avid reader your whole life? Yes, I have. In fact, during my corporate career, I, I did a lot of traveling all over the country. Uh, okay. And I racked up a lot of airline miles, which we used when we retired to travel all over the world. Of but course. I always had a book with me. And the first thing I do when I settled into an airplane seat was open a book and start yes. reading. So I, I, and I have, I've read you know, hundreds and hundreds of books and I just loved it. And I, I don't read as much now because I'm writing all the time. I did read your book and I absolutely loved it. And <laughs> I like to read, I like to read books of, uh, of authors that I know and right. so, yes, I still read. I read, however, a little differently because I learn from the books that I read now. Before, it was just a, just right. a pleasure. But right. now, as I read, I'm saying, oh, wow, I like the way she did this, or I like the way he did that. So right. it becomes uh, a tool for authors to continue to learn and perfect their own craft. Right. Um, you know, if, if I were to ask uh, a writer um, have you always been an avid reader? And the answer was no. I'm not sure where I would go with that because unless you're a reader, I, mean, I could. I was reading by the time I was talking, and I was always mm-hmm. looking for someplace. I had. Um, I noticed you have one sibling. I have four, and my father was a pastor, and so there were always lots of people in our home. So I was always looking for a place that I could get off by myself, even if it was just on a blanket on the grass in the backyard and read the book. So, you know, imagine not reading. But of course, like you, I read differently now. Um, I read Claire Fullerton's book, uh, um, the, no, it's not uh, already, it's just Morning Dove. And mm-hmm. I was so enamored with her writing. I read it the first time through. I mean, I just, just read it. I just devoured it. But then, as a writer, and that, that's another reason I'm enamored with her writing, is just the way she turns the phrase. And so this, I read it through almost like a manual. You know, I was mm-hmm. I didn't just uh, devour it. I savored it and tried to see where the tricks were there that made that book such an amazing read. So you're right. After we start, you're correct. After we start writing, then uh, we tend to read so differently and even underline the different way that people transition and, and so on and, and so forth. Um, exactly. How has, been, oh, okay. um, how has being published changed your life? Well, <laughs> I'm back to working full time again. <laughs> it's well, funny there you because, go. What, yeah, I mean, it is. It, being, a, being a writer is. Um, 
a lot more complicated than a lot of people realize, a lot more complicated than I realized. Because not only are you writing, and that's, that's of course, what we love to do, but you have to also market. And if people, you can write a book, but if nobody knows you exist, right. you won't sell that book. No one will know is even, you know, anything about you. So there is a lot of work involved that is kind of behind the scenes. And so we spend a lot of time sitting at a, at a laptop. I, I, I don't write anything out. I, I type everything every day. And um, for me, I set a, a goal. I try to write a thousand words a day. But then there also has to be a little bit of time every day spent on reaching out to readers, um, finding ways to become known, and all of those tactics that are so important. It, it's, a, it's a business, and it's like it's it like a small business. business. It really is, and you have to treat it as such if you want to be a serious writer. So I went from working probably 60 hours a week in my corporate career for 27 years to working probably that many hours now in retirement. The difference is um, I love what I do, and writing if you're called to write, it it sort of guides everything you do. And, you know, it's funny because my husband, uh, who we've been married for 54 years, so, you know, since we were born practically, but anyway, he, <laughs> there doesn't you go. Like, yeah, he doesn't like to read novels. In fact, he only read novels in school when he had to. He, write, he likes to read technical stuff because he's very technical. But he listens to all of my chapters and gives me feedback. And it's amazing because he'll listen for things and he'll say, you know, you just said that two lines ago. And I'll say, no, I didn't. He'll say, yeah, you did. And I'll look back and say, yeah, I did. Uh-huh. I also re- rely on him to tell me, would a man say this? Because men talk differently than women. And Absolutely. I'll often say, okay, Tim, would a guy say this? And he'll say, yeah, or he'll say, no way. <laughs> so <he's become laughs> that is so helpful. a great partner. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so helpful. And he's what? So he's become a a sort of a silent partner, along with my beta readers, in my whole writing journey. Yes. Absolutely. And I noticed. I'm sorry. Yeah, the other thing is, because I started a second career after I was eligible for Social Security, um, uh-huh. My motto is, I'm proving it's never too late to follow your dreams. And, you know, I figure I can keep writing until I have one foot in the grave. So <laughs> why not? Hey. <clears throat> there you go. Um, I, the conference that I, uh, of course, I go to write at Fishing conferences, too. And, the, of course, there are uh, some older people everywhere. But the one I've noticed particularly at uh, St. David in Pennsylvania, there are several 90-year-olds there. And, you know, mm-hmm. I look at them and I think, well, not only are they still driving, they're, they're still traveling and they're still going and doing and supporting their dreams. So I thought, well, at least that's in. Like you, this writing career for me is a second profession. I, you know, I was mm-hmm. a psychotherapist and I spent so many years in the clinic and started the book that you referred to that you liked is called The Children of Main Street. And, you know, it, it was a, a first career for me that I liked very much. And then, you know, once I stopped seeing, now I saw plenty of adults. A lot of people get the idea, and some people even ask me, 
Why didn't you ever see any adults? I saw lots of adults. It's just that my heart belonged to the children. Um, a lot of times the situations that adults found themselves in was of their own nature. Mm-hmm. We, we have a lot in common because we both draw on all those years in our career uh, to enhance yes. our writing. And experience, yes. No, we're saying the same thing. To an extent, Mm -hmm. especially in the beginning, we all write what we know. I mean, we, of Mm -hmm. course, fictionalize that. But we have to grow on something. And then I think as we grow in our careers, then we'll, you know, stretch out and do research and write about all different kinds of things. But, but yeah, children, because when I retire, and they're, they're the cases that keep you awake at night. They're the cases that sneak into your head while you're, you know, while you're not even particularly wanting to think of work. Uh, they're the cases that sneak in. And so, you know, once I retired and didn't have an office to go to, and I retired early because of my husband's illness, but um, didn't have an office to go to, and all of a sudden missed those, the, the work so much that I literally just found myself sitting down and starting to write about those experiences. You know, just almost mm-hmm. bringing the kids back into my life with a, with a, with a computer, if that makes any sense. Yes, it does. Absolutely. But, um, you know, if you are, are listening now or if you listen later, uh, because I will put a link online, uh, if you find yourself out there wishing that you were a writer, having a dream of maybe, I would sure like to write a book. The best advice that is available, Pat has already mentioned, you know, get yourself to a writer's conference. And if you don't, if you don't know where they are, you can go online and Google Christian Writers Conferences or whatever because that's exactly, Pat, you and I did the exact same thing. When I decided I wanted to write a book, I thought, what am I going to do? And I was in, actually, I was in a Bible study group, and my the leader of the Bible study group was a published author. And she started telling me, you know, you can go here or you can go there. And my first conference was Blue Ridge, and then I just started going to conferences, uh, you know, finding different ones here and there and picking out the ones that I wanted to go to. And, and, and frankly, you know, how many a year could I afford? Because you can spend an awful lot of money uh, at writers' conferences, but I don't know how you would ever be successful. Uh, or maybe a lot, maybe some people are. To me, I, I would have found it much more difficult to ever have broken as a writer without those writers' conferences. Oh, absolutely, for several reasons. Number one, contacts are critical. Um, yes, and they I are. have found that the, that the author community is amazing. I mean, authors are always willing to help each other, and, and published, well-known authors are always willing to help unpublished authors. But you have to know people, and you have to connect. The other thing I think that is critical for someone who really wants to break into writing is seek out critiques. Join a critique group. And look at critiques as a a means of growing your craft because, you know, I can, I can sit down and write, but until somebody else with a seasoned eye looks at it 
and can look at it from a, a writer's perspective, it, it really doesn't go anywhere. So critique groups, um, I belong to Word Weavers International Critique Group. And so do I. They're just incredible. And, you know, because, they are. And even now, even now as I'm writing a book, I'll take things in and, and it, it changes everything. It changes well, it, it makes us grow. It makes us continue to develop because I believe the best writers are always seeking to get better and to make their next book better than the last. And, and that's, that's a, you know, takes a lot of work. That's a worthy goal for a new author. It's a worthy goal for an author that's been writing 40 years. I mean, everybody wants to keep getting better. Nobody wants their, you know, I think that's a big fear of writers who write a series is, oh my gosh, what if I put out a weaker sequel? You know, you've got your fans. And even though when I'm at conferences and I enter contests, I always enter under women's contemporary. But I've been amazed at how many men's fans I have that are touched by the lives of the children, uh, you know, that I've written about. Um, so, <laughs> but it's it's just all it's just all a big deal and really important about making connections um whether they're women you know and and whether you pick up men fans if you're reading or or whatever but once you establish that fan base and they know that you've got another book coming out to me it would just be horrible to put out a, a second book and then go oh uh Okay. <laughs> so none of us want well, to that, do that. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. My second book, I actually just did a major rewrite to strengthen it. And, um, oh, my gosh, what an amazing experience that was. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. And we've got 38 seconds left here. Is there anything you would like to leave your listeners with? Other than um, to expect your next book. Right. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> well, actually, it'll be book. Hopefully, Willow Falls will be an ongoing series. Books two and three are uh, the works in progress. Book two, I will actually get to my editor in, in next week and then um, do a major uh, kind of edit on book three and then get that to her later. But uh, I okay. would say, Let, yes. Okay, thank you, Pat. Let me say uh, to our listeners, thank you for listening in. This is Marilyn Houghton Merritt signing off. I did not mean to cut you off, but I was oh, no, watching I, the that's, clock. That's okay. <laughs> okay, because I, I can see. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, well, mine is clicking. Um, from the show. And so um, right. that's why I had to cut you off so that I could thank everybody for listening. Thank you, Pat. It was a good show. And I will talk to you yeah, very soon. And you have a wonderful day in Georgia. Thank you. Uh-huh. Oh, okay, hon. Bye-bye. And thank my listener for listening in. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.